While we were marching through Georgia, everybody swing your honey, swing your high and low. The Alaman left for the old left hand, around the ring you go. A grand old right to left walk on your heel and toe. Promenade that pretty gal to Georgia. Sometimes I get asked questions that I don't even know the beginning of the answer to, especially when it comes to the personal habits of historical figures. We know that Ulysses Grant liked to drink, and sometimes alcohol was distributed to soldiers before a charge. But someone asked me recently, did soldiers in the Civil War smoke pot? Well, did they? Actually, a lot of people did. Maybe not smoke it, but they used it. A resident of Philadelphia was visited by his doctor in 1863 and given a medicine which greatly improved his outlook. The reason was that Indian hemp or hashish was one of its ingredients. I have read of the wonderful powers over the mind and spirits, but never tried it before. It is certainly a very pleasant way of curing gout. Gout! Now, what we're really talking about is eating an extract of cannabis indica. This stuff was considerably more potent than regular marijuana, actually enough to induce hallucinations. That is Northern Lights Cannabis Indica. No, it's marijuana. Still, to many, this was considered a miracle product. Did you ever have one of those friends in high school who kept talking about the medicinal uses of marijuana, how you could cure cancer with the stuff and make shirts from the fibers and build power plants on the remains of the leaves and the stems? Look at some of the ads of the time. They list just about every malady in the world and claim that hashish can cure it. Torpidity of the liver, incipient consumption, insanity and mental derangement, and it is a sure breath purifier and teeth cleanser. Yeah. Now, hemp was a widely grown crop in the 1800s. It was used for rope, clothing, and sails. It was prevalent, and it was useful enough that the Virginia Assembly in 1619 actually mandated every farmer to grow some hemp. George Washington and Thomas Jefferson grew it. It would have had a little THC in it, and if you smoked a lot of it, you could have gotten a little high, but you'd have to smoke an awful lot of it. Did Washington and Jefferson smoke it? They won't admit it if they did. They most likely knew it could get you high. A person on a chat thread here makes a good point, and he says when wartime privation made coffee scarce, people started making coffee substitutes out of pretty much everything. It's not that far a stretch to think that some farmer who had run low on tobacco one day had tried some of the other crops in his field to see if they could be smoked. So we can say that people living during the Civil War knew about cannabis as an edible and as a medicinal substance, and most likely knew that hemp contained something that could get them high. They might not have known a connection between the two. I read an interview with a professor from the University of Kansas named Barney Worf. He gives a good explanation to our question. Cannabis, the smokable, high-THC kind, was grown by the British and exported to British slave-holding countries. It was intended to pacify the enslaved population, and its use spread among native people. 
he places the first large importation of cannabis into the U.S. after the Mexican Revolution in 1910. Refugees left Mexico and brought their plants with them. The first law against marijuana was in El Paso, and that was in 1914. Now, as far as hash goes, that came from Asia, and people had known about that for centuries. It was being used in Europe during the Civil War. It was actually a fashionable thing to do during the 19th century. So what is the answer to the question, did people smoke pot during the Civil War? And probably once in a while, rarely, but generally, no. The locally grown hemp that the soldiers could find was not of a decent quality to smoke. Once in a rare while, someone with contacts in the Caribbean or New Orleans could obtain an amount of smokable weed, but this would have been expensive and uncommon. Northerners with connections to British trade might consume or smoke hash once in a while, but again, rare and expensive. Like cocaine and morphine, cannabis was used as a legitimate medication and could be purchased at pharmacies. Soldiers could have been given cannabis to consume before surgery. And we're going to let the experts give the last word. If you look up marijuana use in the Civil War, you will almost always be pointed to an ad in a magazine called The Good Samaritan and Domestic Physician. It is a full-page ad listing all the benefits of eating hashish, and it tells you to read the evidence. And I'm quoting right from the ad here. General Grant says it is of great value for the wounded and feeble, and that it is harmless. General McClellan sends his thanks for two boxes which were presented to him and writes thus, Dear Sir, I and my wife have used two boxes of the hashish candy and have been benefited by its use. And General Lee, the Confederate general, made use of these words. I wish it were in my power to place a dollar box of the hashish candy in the pocket of every Confederate soldier because I am convinced that it speedily relieves debility, fatigue, and suffering. Personally, I lean towards that professor from Kansas who said about 1910 to 1915, and my only evidence for that, though it is good evidence, is that the bass guitar was invented in 1920. do have one more drug to talk about, but before that, I want to tell you that Moving Through Georgia is a history podcast that normally focuses on Northeast Georgia, but we wander once in a while. If you have any questions or comments, please send them to movingthroughgeorgia at gmail.com. And if you would like other people in your community to have the option to hear about local history, please give us five stars. And if you're in a generous mood, write a review. It really does help. There are a lot of people, and many of them who lived during the war, who believe that the North won because they had access to coffee. While William McKinley was running for president, he used to talk about the Battle of Antietam when he carried containers of hot coffee to the beleaguered troops. He had given those men new energy and new hope to win the fight. One federal soldier wrote in his diary, Nobody can soldier without coffee. An article in the New York Times mentions that soldiers were issued up to 36 pounds of coffee per year. Some weapons even had coffee grinders built into the stocks. 
With the blockade, coffee was harder to come by in the South. Sherman's men complained when they were required to forage for their own food that coffee was nowhere to be found. And as we've mentioned, lots of substitutes were used for regular coffee. Chicory was probably the most common coffee substitute. They still drink it in New Orleans. Uh, if you see it in a coffee shop, sometimes it'll be called Indian filter coffee. That's a uh, coffee that's half coffee and half chicory. Another one is postum. That's made from wheat and molasses. Now that wasn't that common during the Civil War. It was a lot more common during World War I and World War II. And uh, this Wikipedia page here says that you can take the roots of a dandelion plant dry them, cut them up, and steep them in water to make a coffee substitute. Plenty of Union soldiers believed that coffee was the means of achieving victory. If you visit the Antietam battlefield, there's a very tall monument to President McKinley, and the plaque says the following. Sergeant McKinley, while in charge of the commissary department on the afternoon of the day of the Battle of Antietam, September 17, 1862, personally and without orders, served hot coffee and warm food to every man in the regiment on this spot, and in doing so, had to pass under fire. Everybody swing your honey, swing your high and low. The yellow man left for the old left hand, around the ring you go. A grand old right left walk on your heel and toe. From an aid that pretty gal to Georgia. That's all.